Welcome back to Cyberology, Dakota State University's podcast for sharing and discussing all things cyber and technology. I'm Jen Burris, and I'll be your host. We welcome back again Dr. Gabe Midland as co-host for our final episode on artificial intelligence. Thank you for having me. And our special guest today, an expert on the societal and economic impacts of artificial intelligence, is Dr. Jack Walters, professor of management and coordinator for the Masters of Business and Administration program in the College of Business. Good afternoon. Hi, Jack. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I've been at uh, Dakota State for almost 16 years and about four years ago started to get interested in not just the rapid growth of artificial intelligence but the economic impact of it both positive and negative mm -hmm. and I've been collecting resources articles videos about it since then and it's just endlessly fascinating topic you mentioned positives and negatives why don't we start with the benefits Okay, the benefits, it's probably not right to use the word unlimited, but I want to position it near mm -hmm. unlimited. So just to give you a few examples, there are now already in use artificial intelligence systems that can outperform physicians in making diagnoses of patients. Wow, that's fascinating. So just think about what that would mean. If we could just make a quantum leap in the quality of diagnoses, what would that mean for people's long-term health? That's just one example. The potential of it is just amazing just to mm -hmm. revolutionize maybe everything so that's the positives then we look at some of the potential negative impacts when we've had huge leaps in technology in the past they generally added to the economy and they didn't take too much away. Mm -hmm. So that helped to boom the economy of the United States, of the world for over a century. When you look at the matching of artificial intelligence to robotics, it's almost inevitable that it won't just add some new jobs and some new industries, mm -hmm. but it's going to take employment away from a bunch of people. So my perspective on it is I'm not against any of this technology. This is not one of those anti-technology arguments, mm -hmm. but we need to be prepared for it. It's going to be dramatic. Okay. Where do you see the timeline on that? I know a lot of people predict like 2030. I would say definitely by 2030, but maybe that decade between 2030 and 2040 mm -hmm. is going to be where we think we understand what the economy is like in 2030, and then we may have a completely different understanding of it in 2040. Okay. How do you see that impacting jobs as it moves forward? So people who work in the field of artificial intelligence would have a more complex view than I do. Mm -hmm. But my rule of thumb is if what you do is repetitive, it can be done by artificial intelligence. So everybody says, okay, well, that's factory jobs and certain other routinized jobs. True. But it has broader impact. For example, a knee surgeon who's doing a lot of arthroscopic knee surgeries, that work in a holistic sense becomes very repetitive. It's routine in many surgical establishments now to video record those surgeries. Well, if you take those videos and you run them through existing artificial intelligence software and processes, 
you could begin to develop a machine-enabled arthroscopic surgeon. So it's not just the person who's getting an hourly wage. It's Mm -hmm. all the people whose work is repetitive. And that's an awful lot of people. Yes, it is. Gabe, do you have anything now that you want to ask? Yeah. You know, I'm kind of curious as a student of history also. We've gone through these changes and these transitions before. I'm wondering in your reading, have you seen where we've learned from any of these shifts how to better prepare ourselves for making the transition from you're used to doing this as your job, but now this is going to be done more efficiently and you're going to have to move into something else. I think of the coal industry, for example. We talk about bringing these jobs back when we know that we can provide the same kind of power from the sun and from the wind. And we've got a whole rust belt of folks whose family for generations were working in the mines. Is anybody planning for this kind of a transition? In my opinion, not enough. There's a concern in the fields that surround business and organizations Mm -hmm. that if you look across society, certain other major segments have had giant leaps forward. Medicine, technology, even there are some improved governments. If you look at historically, the world is getting to be a better place democracy-wise and so Mm -hmm. forth. Organizations do not seem to be progressing at that rate of speed. Mm. And we see the same mistakes. You know, read the paper. Mm -hmm. People do the same unethical things. They do the same illegal things. They make the same judgment mistakes. It's worrisome because if we charge forward and use the same logic. So to give you an example, starting 30, 40 years ago, businesses decided they would like to offshore their labor to lower wage environments. And they did that. Mm -hmm. And it's had profound effects on the economies of places where the jobs went and the economies of the places where they left from. That could happen with artificial intelligence and robotics where there is a cost advantage somewhere. And the business people say, hey, let's just go to that. It's faster, shorter, more reliable, whatever their argument is, lower cost. And then that could just sweep like a plague across the employment patterns of the country. That's my big concern, that we need to prepare exactly what Gabe was saying. We need to think, what would it mean if people who drive long-haul trucks don't have jobs because there's a machine doing it? Does that kind of play into the basic income talks about potentially paying people a flat level every month? It's a very interesting question. One of the things I try to do on this topic, I'm not an economist. And so I try not to get too far down the path Mm -hmm. of saying, well, maybe that's, you know, monthly basic income argument or other things like uh, Spain just went to a four day work week as a sort of standard model. All those things are out there, but I don't feel like it's my spot Mm -hmm. To say, here's what we should do. I'm just here to say there's going to be employment effects and somebody's going to have to figure out what to do about them. Mm -hmm. Do you think that raises concerns for pretty much every industry? Yes. Uh, So I've collected all these things and we tend to think that, well, there must be some industry or some profession that's not affected. But here's an example. 
there is already significant development of artificial intelligence in teaching. So, you know, all the folks like me and Gabe who are teachers, we love to hear, no, we'll never be replaced. What do you mean? <laughs> this, is, this is a completely unique and creative job. There is already an artificial intelligence college professor. And then you also have to think it's not the end result we're looking at. It's a walk between here and there. Mm -hmm. One university did a fascinating experiment. They did an online course and they replaced a TA with one of these expert systems that you just type your mm -hmm. questions and it's a natural language system and it figures out what to do. Mm -hmm. Students could not tell it from the human. Really? This is the early days, you know, of this. So how sophisticated might that be in three years from now? Mm -hmm. And do you see that impacting different areas in society, not just employment? I do. To go down a completely different path, one of the things that is of great concern to ethicists and others is the uh, development of robots mm -hmm. that could take the place of soldiers or other military personnel. That sounds terrifying. The part that's terrifying about it is how easy it makes it to go to war. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, if you're a president of the United States or the leader of any other country and you're considering a military conflict, you're thinking, I am going to be responsible for the deaths of XYZ number of people. But if it's just machines and they can be bought or replaced or repaired, it's a different war decision. But of course, there's always collateral damage in war, right? So mm -hmm. it's not just the combatants that are killed and injured in a war. And that's the part that is very frightening to some people. That's really a concern. Do we kind of already see that with drone strikes? Uh, to some extent, we do. And, and one of the things that for many obvious reasons, the military doesn't talk about, but drones are probably now able to largely be blown by AI. Everything that's done in that kind of work is recorded. So, you know, there's a bunch of drone pilots in Rapid City. Mm -hmm. So they record all those flights and then you put it in a neural network or that kind of a thing and back into what worked, what didn't, what was done and what's associated with what worked. That creates an artificial intelligence or a machine learning algorithm that can do the same kinds of things that human pilots do. Wow. That only will probably further develop in the next 10 years. Yeah, I think it's going at an exponential rate, but it's not just a linear, well, mm -hmm. we did this in June of last year, so this year in June we'll do X, Y, Z. It's much faster than that. It's just unlimited, as we've already said, in both positive things that it can do. I mean, just wonderful things it can do. And then it's also, to some extent, has very big downsides that we haven't thought through. Mm-hmm. And do you think that the quickness of developments in AI can lead to some of those problems because it's just moving at a very accelerated pace, which might leave openings for these issues to crop up and get missed? I do think that. Uh, one of the things that's of concern when I mentioned that decade 2030 to 2040, there's a lot of big, 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 big brains on the earth who have expressed concern about development of the ability for machines to design machines. Up until now, people design machines mm -hmm. and then people design the software that machines run. But we are approaching a period of time in which some of that work could be done by machines. This is where the ethics questions really boil over because there might be a higher efficiency operation model or design mm -hmm. that a machine would do, but it's not ethical. It's not the right thing to do for people. Because they're not the sentient beings that we are. Right. For example, it might have decided in this recent virus thing, we should not treat these people. They're too old or they have too many pre-existing conditions, mm -hmm. and it's not doing that to be cruel. 
it's doing that out of some optimization function, but that's often not how ethical decisions are made. Mm -hmm. So that's a big concern. So the uh, plot line of just about any really good science fiction novel <laughs> is coming true, where machines take over and humans become subservient. Cyberology. If I may, I, I'm curious about your perspective on this, because how do we as a society approach this? How do we make sure that the applications that are being designed are in the general interest, not in a specific interest, and that we're still in command, if you will, of how this is used and what it's used for? Is that an individual responsibility? Is it a government responsibility? Is it both? I was at a speech Condoleezza Rice gave at the Bow Forum in Sioux Falls. And one of the things that she talked about was this whole idea that we're becoming more and more efficient with machines and it's becoming a better way of doing things. But she brought up the point that employers who displace employees with artificial intelligence driven machines have a responsibility to their workforce to help them transition into something new, whether it be training or some guidance on what kind of transitions they can make. Or is this something that we should do as a society as a whole? I mean, I, I don't know where you come down on that. Yeah, it's a fascinating set of questions, and I really think there's going to end up being lots of people doctorally trained in all those topics that you mentioned. You know, there's really going to have to be deep knowledge in the creation of educational programs about that. So when you look at Dr. Rice, she was probably, I'm guessing, making the argument out of an ethical framework, that there is a sort of moral obligation that if you displace someone with a machine that you should help them. My personal view, based on my knowledge of business history, mm -hmm. that won't be enough. If you want that, it'll have to be done by regulation. I think that regulation will be highly controversial. So those are the kinds of issues that surround that. In the larger context, I think higher education has a huge role to play. Maybe K-12 education has a role to play as well. When we have been developing a proposal for a program about artificial intelligence in organizations, one of the things that has come up and up and up, including a meeting I was in today, is courses in ethics and how do you train people? Because it's not going to be one of those where robots run everything and we're just has-beens or bygones. We're still going to be running it. The question is, how will we run it and what rules will we implement? For example, there will come a time within 10 years, as Jen was talking about, when human workers and AI workers are working side by side. Well, that's a whole new realm of human resources and human resource law. What happens if there's a dispute between the human and the artificial intelligence? What happens when one or the other makes a mistake? How are things held accountable? Just on and on and on. Those kinds of things are going to be happening soon. And so there has to be some kind of large-scale, three-dimensional understanding of where we're headed and how much things are going to change. Do you think it's possible with all the industries that this will affect, basically everyone at some point, that we can find new jobs or new areas to get everyone reemployed somehow? I'm very sorry to say I don't believe we'll be able to replace all the jobs that are lost. There will, without question, be whole new categories of jobs, whole new ways of doing things. But when I look at how many jobs will be lost, I don't see how it's possible to recover them all. 
And then I'm very reluctant. I hear people say, well, people need to get different training and they need to be, you know, reskilled. And all. the scale of that task is just almost incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're really talking about gigantic numbers of changes. Wow. Do you have any personal input or feelings that you would say to these people as they're making these advancements and considering society as a whole? Yeah, the interesting thing is my particular focus is not on the technology development. In other words, fine with me if that continues apace. That's how it's been throughout history. New technology has always supplanted old technology. The audience I want to speak to are people that make policy, the Mm -hmm. government level, and people that lead organizations. I really think that's where we have to talk about this. And one of the things that could be considered, this could rewrite international economic competition and cooperation. Because right now there's a bunch of, oh, just to pick on an easy sort of pinata, a bunch of iPhones are made in the East. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, the wages are lower there. Well, if you shifted to an economy where they're mostly constructed by machines, then the machines can be here. Mm -hmm. And then people say, well, why? That's not adding a job. The machine's doing the job. But the transportation, the logistics, the supply chain, all that stuff that goes with having a business entity is here. And so that could just change how we place labor, Mm -hmm. uh, broadly defined, in the world. It's a lot of stuff to take in. It is. It's really, really big. Really big. Yes. And do you have any positive stories that you've seen in AI's potential impacts in different areas? I have. So here's one. And this one's probably tilted a little more over to the robotic side, but it's so much of a very hot topic right now in the news. There is existing a working prototype of a robotic traffic cop. So when someone is seen violating, you know, speeding, running a light, whatever, mm-hmm. the current model is driven by a human, but the car is outfitted with a robotic traffic cop. So the, the pulled over. The car that carries the robotic cop puts a stop stick under the back of the car. So that's a thing that's like a board with nails in it. Mm -hmm. And it can extend and go under the wheels of the car. So if the car tries to speed away, it can't go fast because it's going to have holes in the tires and the tire will be deflated. Then this little robotic police officer moves up from the back one on some kind of a bar, stops at the front window and has a camera, a microphone, a speaker and a little printer in it. So then the robotic cop tells the person what they have done wrong and has a conversation with them. And then if it issues a ticket, the ticket comes out of a little printer and they take it. So look at what the news is. We have two horrifying cases going on. One where police improperly shoot civilians Mm -hmm. and the other where civilians shoot police, which is pretty much always improper. Mm -hmm. So. This is the kind of thing that we're talking about. It doesn't matter if somebody shoots the robot. They can get a new one. And the robot is not armed. It's not going to shoot anyone. So you can sort of solve a kind of hot topic problem Mm -hmm. right now with that kind of device. Eliminate some of those inherent risks that we... And there are just scores of those kinds of examples of positive improvement, better service, better quality, less danger. Mm -hmm then there is, you know, a whole other side of what will that do to employment and array of occupations. 
So I'm at risk of repeating myself, and I don't mean to, but in your collection of all this information about all the things that deal with AI, have you come across information about different groups who are prepared to sit down with policymakers and leaders of organizations to talk about the ethics? Are there trainings available in business programs that are being developed to address this new world that we're approaching? Being developed, yes. Existing, not so much. So we're definitely seeing now rapid across the country and probably across the world as well, ideas for training, understanding, seeing the limitations of the technology, seeing the benefits of the technology. But right now, we're not to the point where there is, for example, a group of people who are expert in that, who are serving as some kind of a advisory board or mm-hmm. you know, NGO or something like that as it regards these issues. Okay. I wasn't aware of any, you know, I mean, like the President's Council of Economic Advisors, for yeah. example, they yeah. kind of take a look at what's going on and try to draw attention to certain things. And I didn't know if there was anything similar to that, maybe not at that level, but maybe even in the private sector. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, and there there are troubling cases. For example, Google is one of the leaders in the development of artificial intelligence. Sure. Well, they have had, for reasons that are not immediately clear, it is their private information, but certainly important parts of it are in the media, where they've dismissed a couple of people that were key in their ethics development effort for AI. Well, then that led last week to the resignation of one of the biggest names in all of AI in the world from Google. Hmm. And so it's troubling. It's like, is this going to be our history where there's this constant back and forth and contentiousness and stuff like that? Or will we lean the other way of like, we got to do this ethically or we're going to be sorry? You know, that's the uh, concern I have is could we go in that direction? Sure. Ideally, we'd probably like a balance where both sides are at the table. And obviously identifying the areas where they agree and then identifying where they don't agree, but what they can work together on. Yeah, I'm hopeful, and this is probably pretty quixotic, but I wish that we could make a finer distinction about transparency of things. So I totally understand that Google's in a competitive business and one that's likely to become more so. And so they want to be private. But there's a lot of these things that get put under the bushel of competitive and private information when really we ought to understand maybe those people got to for a reason that has nothing to do with what we think. But how would we know? No one will say. And so it's troubling. Do you see cyber ethics then, or AI ethics, being a big part of new college programs like the degrees that are coming to DSU? I really do. And I think that there's a group of my colleagues here at Dakota State who are involved in this very deeply in developing programs. And I think they all see the importance of the teaching of ethics, of embedding ethics in most everything we're doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's got to happen that it can't go forward in this kind of agnostic context. That would not be the right way. And do you think that that'll happen kind of across the board with these new degrees in the country and that that might maybe level some things out if all of these new up and coming workers in AI have some ethical training? Yes, I think there's a possibility for it. What I would like to see is where the ethics of the development and management of AI have the same role that a professional accountancy has. So a CPA, for example, is honor bound and legally bound to certain principles of ethics, even if that's not what their client wants. 
And that's where we need to be with this, that yes, there's going to be companies that develop stuff and it's in their financial and economic interest to do something that cuts corners. We have to have people trained and licensed and ready to say, nope, we can't do that. That's not the way to go. That's going to be a concern. It's a step in the right direction, yeah. but I don't think it's the only answer. I think we all have to be alert and we all have to be involved and we all have to step up when something's not right. Gabe, are you kind of saying that by studying the ethical stuff, they could circumvent it a well, little I'm, bit? I'm just or? saying, no, I think it's important that we study this stuff. And mm -hmm. I think it's important we test people on this stuff and that they have a certification that says they understand it. But I don't think that's where it ends. Mm -hmm. In my view of where we're at, not just with AI, but in society as general, is that we don't have enough people involved in the process. We have, for example, fewer than a majority of the people in South Dakota who are registered to vote. Mm -hmm. And yet in the last election, we're all celebrating that we had a 70% turnout. Mm -hmm. Well, if 45% of the people who could vote are the 70% of that, that's still a minority. And, and that's part of the problem is that people don't have a voice or they're not exercising their voice. Things like this that are gonna disrupt families, lifestyles, communities, you would think that would be enough of an incentive to be involved, mm -hmm. but I don't well, know. If you really want to put yourself in the tumble dryer and turn it on, <laughs> consider this. The solution to some of those very serious societal issues, AI. <laughs> okay, because, yeah, for example... It, it, it's a conundrum, isn't it? The, the it thing really is, is, you look at this, like, we could do a thing. It would take a lot of work, but it could be done with artificial intelligence. Who has been complained about who's a practicing licensed psychologist? then collect all kinds of data and have it back solve mm -hmm. against that. What about that person? Is there a pattern? Is there anything that would explain it as a, something that could then be used as at least a, a warning signal, if not mm -hmm. a predictor? This is just right down the core of what AI is good at. And so you could solve some of those kind of problems with it, but then you're also advancing <laughs> its place in society when you do that. You know, it's just really... It is a conundrum. I mean, it really is. And then if you, you know, just to throw one more out there, this really worries me. There are plenty of groups in the world. Most of them are not governmental, but some mm -hmm. are. Many of them are individual groups or terrorists or whatever. None of everything we've said about ethics means anything. It's to their interest to create something that has no ethical uh, subroutines or guards or ability to be stopped. And that's really scary. There's already tools out there that would make those existing prototypes extremely dangerous if they were not controlled. Do you think that that would spread quickly kind of in the criminal world, so to speak? Would they be sharing their nefarious advances with others? I think they would be concerned. So now this was not a terrorist thing. It was an artistic thing, but mm -hmm. it shows you what we're talking about. There's a robotics company called Boston Dynamics. They're one of the world's leaders in the development of robotics. So there was an art teacher mm -hmm. who got one somehow. They make a dog, a mule, and a human. Okay. And so they got the dog. The dog's really popular, and it's about the size of a medium to large size dog. So they got one and they strapped a paintball gun on the back of the dog. And then they connected the dog to the internet 
and they would let people log on and steer the dog around and then fire the paintball gun at walls and make art. This was the whole point of it. Mm -hmm. But first of all, really ticked off the people from Boston Dynamics who already have military contracts. But also it raises that specter of what if that was a real gun on the mm -hmm. dog and you just walk it down the street and fire the gun? It's, it's just there's too many of those kinds of questions that have not even been addressed at all. No, I was just going to say, I'm sleeping better tonight. I know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's nothing to worry about at all. Is there anything that you think the average person should be doing or focusing on as these advances are made? Yes, I think we should be honest and forthcoming with people about the kinds of work that they're doing that is either more easy or more difficult to be automated. And then that helps people to choose careers, that helps people to start on a path and so forth. The more variable your daily work is, the much further along it'll be before anybody's trying to automate. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole class of those kinds of jobs. But if what you do each day is repetitive, that's at least a concern that sooner or later it will be in someone's financial interest to try to automate that. And that's where the pinch will come. And do you think that can also apply to like creative areas? I know they've had AI create songs before or something. Yes, there's fun stuff out there about creative work by AI, but we're nowhere near the level of sophistication. Too many people, when you say artificial intelligence, they think of Mr. Data, you know, or these mm -hmm. kinds of fictional characters. That may be mid-century before there's anything like that. But it's crazy of us to think, oh, well, that's way out there. The stuff that will affect employment and jobs is very close by. Mm -hmm. So we should be thinking in terms of what will we do? What other ways can those people have meaningful employment? And what structural changes might be needed in light of the large scale changes that AI and robotics will bring? Okay. Anything else you can think of that we might have missed on this topic? No, the only thing is I'd loop back and restate something that I sort of said in passing. I think if you listen to this, especially if you just listen kind of with part of your attention, mm -hmm. you think, oh, look, that guy, he's just against all this stuff. On the contrary, not only am I not against it, I don't think you can actually be against it. Mm -hmm. I, I know people who say, well, I don't like it that Walmart has all those self-checkouts. Well, too bad for you. Those things work. They're never going away. And the idea that we should pull them all out of the stores so we can give the cashiers back their jobs, that's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's just a tiny drop compared to all the other things that could be done in this way. So what we need to do is lean into it, not fight it, not reject it, not deny it, but say, here is something that's coming and we should adjust. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part. It is. You know, people find it very difficult to change. Hopefully that won't be the part that gets AI'd because that's what I'd help people with. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and Gabe, as a professional PhD trained psychologist, that's the job I'm talking about is forever down the mm -hmm. path, you know, because it's almost every case is unique. And there's a lot of sort of unstructured decision making that goes on. But my goodness, look around at the jobs that people do in large numbers across the economy. They're not like that. Well, and I even can see how it could be applied to my profession, quite frankly. You have a finite set of variables and you just plug it in and uh, I'm replaceable. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a challenge for all of us. And I do think it brings great things, but nothing comes without a cost. Yes. And the benefits are going to be astounding. I think that in uh, uh, medicine that we talked about, but also in many service type fields where people are uh, given advice or are given support by various things in professions, lots of that's going to get much better. And that's great. That's wonderful. But like we said, the change in the employment structure, not only of the U.S., but of practically everywhere is going to be profound. So it's really about adaptability in society. It is. And that's a wonderful point. I'm glad you brought it up. The country that is most adaptable is going to be the leader in this. And the ones that are least adaptable or most resistant are going to be behind. Okay. Well, I found this topic very interesting and would love to revisit it sometime with you. I'm sure you have a plethora of knowledge that we didn't cover here today. It is such a great thing to be involved with scholarly wise and intellectually wise because, my goodness, next week there'll be some new blockbuster thing that we didn't know about this week. It's just amazing. MIT released, this is about three weeks ago, most of the uh, learning models in machine learning and artificial intelligence are a trained model. So you get a neural network and that's, you know, that's a software thing mm -hmm. and you put data in and it associates outcomes with inputs. But you have to do that. A human has to do that. MIT released three weeks ago the first AI that can do it on the fly. So it takes the data and starts making generalizations from the data on its own that's the science fiction version of AI that we've had for almost a century, but that's where we're headed in reality. Scary and exciting. Very exciting and somewhat scary too, yes. Hey, well, I'd like to thank Gabe for co-hosting again. Thank you. And Jack, thank you for being our guest. My pleasure. And our sound designer, Spencer. And thank you all for listening to Cyberology. Cyberology. Be sure to subscribe. Cyberology.